Welcome to the Funds pop-up webinar. I'm Melissa Murphy, and I have the pleasure to host these pop-up webinars every month or so. We focus on current topics of interest to the title and closing industry, and I hope you find these conversations valuable. We also push the audio out to our podcast, which is conveniently also called Title Now. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to listen to the content again, or maybe share it with friends and colleagues. So you can subscribe to our podcast at any of the channels that you subscribe to the other podcasts. So please join those people that um, are members of our podcast. We're going to invite you to post questions today on the chat function, and we will try to get back to you after the webinar with responses, but we're just not going to have time today to go through your questions, but please, please feel free to post them and we'll get back to you later. So what are we talking about today? Traditionally for many decades, Title insurance has been the way buyers and lenders have been assured of good title to the property they're buying or lending against. And recently, in the last 18 months or so, both Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae have approved the use of an alternative title product for loans in limited circumstances. And specifically, the alternative title product that has been approved are attorney opinion letters. There are six types of transactions that are not eligible for the use of a attorney opinion letter. They are loans against condos, loans against co-ops, loans on dwellings on leasehold estates, loans on manufactured homes, <clears throat> loans on properties subject to restricted covenants, which is an interesting carve out to me because most residential properties, most I think, are encumbered by restrictive covenants of some sort. And then the last category are loans that are executed utilizing a power of attorney. But that still leaves thousands and thousands of transactions that are able to be, um, or where an attorney opinion letter is able to be utilized. So it's an important topic for us to understand. And this move by the GSEs sent ripples, if not waves, through the title insurance industry. Concerns about whether the attorney opinion letters really effectively address the risks of real estate transactions that we see every day in our business, those concerns are real. And lots of fund members emailed me with questions and shared articles that they might have read, and they were questioning uh, this new product. So I quickly realized that I needed to get more information. So I reached out to our national industry advocacy group, the American Land Title Association. And I, of course, was not the only person doing that. Um, lots of people have looked at Alta to give us some guidance here. So it makes sense for me to have invited Chris Morton from Alta as my guest today to talk with us about AOLs and what's been going on in this arena. 
Chris is the chief advocacy officer for Alta, so he is perfectly positioned to talk about this subject. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks, Melissa. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with you on what is a really important topic and obviously been a, a huge focus for us at Alta and, and the broader industry. So um, looking forward to hopefully shedding some light uh, on some of the important questions around this. Well, Chris, I would love to start with the why. What was the reasoning behind the GSC's move to approve attorney opinion letters, even if, for now, in limited circumstances? Yeah, it's a great place to start. And, you know, I think in looking at this, um, we all understand and recognize the challenges that have been, um, you know, apparent when it comes to affordability. Um, affordability of, of housing and, and home ownership affordability in particular from a public policy perspective. I think something, a goal that we all, you know, uh, work towards um, helping to address and, and tackle in a meaningful way, particularly for certain underserved uh, borrowers and, and communities. And so that's really what's driven a lot of the, um, the work that um, the GSEs have done, as well as um, the oversight that comes from the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Just to give a little level set on sort of what happened historically. So on uh, in April of last year was when Fannie Mae made its selling guide change. Um, and it really, what it did was follow uh, similar um, guidance that Freddie Mac had had going back all the way to 2008. Um, and so really it was at least initially described as a conforming change to provide some standardization across um, the two GSEs. Um, we did learn though from there that um, in June of last year, uh, the two GSEs under the guidance of FHFA released what are called equitable housing finance plans. And these are really broad scale efforts to look at that question of affordability um, across particularly low and moderate income borrowers and uh, minority uh, borrowers as well. Uh, and it's not just in um, one particular area. It's really the entirety of the uh, homeownership journey, so to speak, um, as well as on the, the rental side. So um, as it relates to our industry, what the focus was was really on how can uh, there be a reduction, a meaningful reduction in uh, closing costs and, and uh, you know, down payment uh requirements as it relates to this particular class of borrowers. You know, again, I think it, from a public policy perspective, laudable goals that we all share, I think the big question is how do you get there in a way that is safe and sound and that doesn't compromise a class of borrowers uh, in a way that makes them more vulnerable? Well, that's what concerns me because I, I can't argue with the goal of reducing closing costs. Uh, that's that certainly is an appropriate topic for discussion. But I'm also confident that the GSEs, um, while being supportive of reducing costs, surely they are not supportive of reducing costs but increasing risks to a consumer, uh, particularly perhaps consumers in the targeted group. So. Do they have guidelines that have been established for what these attorney opinion letters say and do? 
Yeah, so let me uh, speak to some of the requirements um, as as the, the guidance laid out um, as relates to the attorney opinion letter. So, you know, first it, it needs to be addressed, the, the letters addressed to the lender and the successors and in interest. Um, uh, the other piece of this is it needs to be commonly accepted um, in an area where the property is, is located. Um, gap coverage needs to be provided. Um, all other liens um, need to be listed and um, affirmatively stated that they're subordinate to the mortgage. Um, the title condition of the title needs to be acceptable. Um, the mortgage needs to have the appropriate lien priority on a fee simple estate. And the attorney involved needs to have uh, malpractice insurance. So there are some stipulations here. Um, we can get into this a little bit more, but uh, in terms of as we talk more about the, the particular products that we're aware of in the marketplace, but um, you know it's it's important to recognize how this may um, really be in many respects as we get into it the business of title insurance um, in its definition. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, that, those are the some of the major requirements. And those all sound fine. I mean, those all sound like reasonable requirements of the attorney opinion letter, but I suspect that there's more to this behind the curtain, if I could use that expression. So what are the main areas that Alta has focused on in their efforts to understand more about this product? Yeah, and again, I come at it from, a, a, you know, we start as an advocacy organization with the proposition of understanding the policy objectives and, um, you know, and, and uh, working to analyze what we know about um, what is out there uh, in the market in terms of attempting to meet some of those objectives. The reality here, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately has been, um, there has been a real lack of transparency as it relates to uh, some of these products. We have been able to find you know, some information and, and been able to do an analysis of what we've been able to be able to see in the market, at least on one of the products. And, and I can talk a little bit more, uh, you know, about that. Um, um, as, you know, as we've, we've dug in on this, uh, we've worked with a uh, major law firm, uh, Greenberg Trowick, to produce a coverage comparison between um, the standard ALTA policy and what we have seen at least or been able to um, uh, have access to in terms of one AOL that it does have an insurance component associated with it. And when we did that analysis, what we found was um, real concern um, from our perspective, because there are some things um, within that coverage analysis that we've done, which is available on Ulta's website uh, for those of you interested. Uh, but things like, you know, undisclosed matters beyond um, what's found in the public records would not be covered. Um, uh, issues of fraud and forgery, which we know are, you know, a significant area of claims um, for our industry, uh, certainly would not uh, be covered in, in this particular uh, analysis that we did. Things like the duty to defend, um, also not, you know, uh, covered necessarily. So as we've dug in, we've tried to first understand and get um, get some information. And then second, it raises a bunch of questions about, um, you know, what it is the objectives are with the GNCs and FHFA. And so we've tried to bring these questions and concerns to them uh, to really uh, have a conversation 
uh, and get a better sense of um, you know where their uh, head is on this. I think there's a shared, uh, at least from our conversations, uh, belief that uh, there shouldn't be increased risk associated with alternative products. However, um, we've not been able to um, understand or see that um, what's in the market, in fact, doesn't increase those, those risks. So we're continuing to talk with the GSEs in the, in the FHFA. We're also engaged with policymakers, both on the federal and state level, and particularly state insurance regulators, who we think should be asking these similar questions, given the nature of title insurance regulation. Uh, and if there is, you know, a product or products in the marketplace that, you know, um, to use a phrase, quack like a duck and walk like a duck, they should be regulated uh, in a similar way. Like a duck. <laughs> so, um, so that's been, you know, the, the series of activities and, and conversations that we've been engaged in. Um, and, and, you know, principally, we're really driving to that transparency uh, uh, argument and, and, and point, uh, which is, you know, the need for regulators, uh, particularly at the state level, to, to better understand these products. Uh, well, well, that's an interesting point that you've raised because this lack of transparency by the by the um, people in that are offering this product in the market is is so curious to me because if it's so great, why aren't they willing to be totally transparent about what it does and how it covers risks and and how it's a safe product for a lender to rely on. And then certainly that's a, a key element of concern that I have is that this appears to only benefit the lender. And, and it also sounds like the there's only one product that Alta has been able to do this deep dive comparison. And so are there other products out in the market that are maybe slightly different, but you don't really know because they're not sharing? Yeah, so there's, there, as we know it right now, there's sort of two uh, flavors, I, I would say, um, you know, in terms of what's out there. One is this product that is um, an attorney opinion letter uh, combined with a service agreement and a specialty errors and emissions um, insurance policy wrapper. Um, there are, you know, there are varying evolutions of this um, in terms of what's being claimed. Again, however, what we've seen and what we've used to, to produce the analysis I described, you know, shows real gaps. Um, so that's that's one um, one uh, product out in the market. The other is being offered, um, and and that is purporting now. If this is evolved, that is purporting to cover the lender, the consumer, and sort of all parties to the transaction. It's being offered in all 50 states, apparently, uh, up to a million dollars in loan amount. Um, you know, so there's an, a number of assertions, um, you know, here. But again, we're trying to understand the the, the, the facts and the specifics. I think the other thing um, I would say is um, on the the, the non-insured side, there is a lender uh, only non-insured uh, or you know. A, a, a mortgage lender that is self-insuring essentially uh, out there that is um, not covering the owner side of the transaction. Um, one of the things that we've raised in conversations with various parties that I described is, you know, 
what does this do from a consumer perspective as well as a lender perspective? There's a lot of confusion uh, about you know what exactly is covered, what are the risks, what are the you know what are the gaps, um, and it's not um, providing for sort of a healthy um, you know open dialogue um, so that people can make informed choices uh, from a consumer perspective in particular uh, as they're going into these transactions. And so um, we would hope that we can get to a place where uh, those questions are adequately answered. There's, there's appropriate transparency uh, and most importantly, uh, appropriate regulation if this is a product that is essentially title insurance um, under a different name, um, that it's regulated as such. Well, it, it, and let me ask you a question about this self-insuring um, situation, because that seems very curious to me also, because if the, if the lender is self-insuring, are they doing that by having employees, uh, attorneys that are employees that are issuing the attorney opinion letter? Is that why it's self-insuring because their employees are issuing the letter? Yeah, again, it may be, but uh, you know the 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 lack of detail around some of this still remains. And so, the, but these are the kinds of questions. I think there's some other questions. You know, you look like a, from a state law perspective um, that that's important to to really um, for regulators in particular to ask. You know, in terms of the insured product and, and the underlying insurance. Um, what type of license um, uh, is being uh, required to be had there? Um, you know, are the, are the state regulators um, looking at and reviewing the coverage in the same way that they do with title insurance? Uh, you know, what level, for instance, of reserves for future losses does the particular insurance provider hold or or, or is holding? How are reserves being calculated, if any, are are available? Um, quite honestly. Um, and so, you know, and again, I think uh, in terms of charges uh, for these attorney opinion letters, you know, are they regulated and how so? Um, you know, again, all open, important open questions, but ones that need to be resolved if, um, you know, if both lenders and consumers are to be comfortable uh, with the choices they're making and the risks they're taking in various iterations of products. And if those are questions that need to be answered based on state law, because title insurance is something that is regulated by and large by state law. So you've got you know, 50 different sets of state laws and they do vary from state to state. There are similarities for sure, but in Florida, title insurance is a highly regulated industry and those questions that you just listed out are extremely relevant because our industry pays very close attention to those things and they are held accountable by our insurance commissioner, our regulator to comply with a law that requires those things from them. So are you do you have a sense of how the various state insurance commissioners and or regulators in each state are reacting to this? Is there is there any sense of whether or not they're paying attention? 
I, yes, I, I believe, um, I mean, the answer is yes, they're paying attention. There's, there's actually been a couple of sessions with the NAIC's title task force on this topic, um, one of which I participated in back in August of last year, and then more recently in December of last year, there was uh, another presentation um, at which um, I know one of the, the providers um, was able to um, have a conversation with some of the um, some of the members of the task force. I think a lot of the questions, um, in even more specifics than the ones I raised, were asked, and I'm not sure that they were satisfactorily answered in a way that was um, providing the answers that were sought. And so, you know, I, I think there's additional um, uh, work that uh, I'm sure the state regulators are doing to better get those answers and understand. Um, you know, just just exactly how uh, these various iterations of product are being structured and, and, and appropriately then, you know, managing risk and, um, and, and particularly uh, dealing with the needs of consumers um, who are, you know, obviously under the appropriate title insurance regime um, in a normal circumstance in, in all 50 states. Well, let's make sure our audience knows um, who the NAIC is. That's the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And every state has a representative that uh, attends those meetings and participates in those discussions. And it's a great forum for the various insurance commissioners to share discussions and, and brainstorm about issues just like this. Now they deal with all kinds of insurance, not just title insurance. Right. But it does sound like this has drawn a lot of attention to the title insurance aspect of their jobs. And I'm I'm really thrilled to hear that NAIC is paying attention to this because Understanding it is so important, and and each state insurance commissioner needs to spend some time looking at their own laws that regulate title insurance and how this product fits or doesn't fit in there. Um, and I did want to spend a few minutes talking about what we are doing here in Florida because Florida has certainly been identified as one of the states where attorney opinion letters are commonly acceptable. That could be a debatable question, but uh, let's give them that for the moment. And here in Florida, I know that individual underwriters are having conversations with our Office of Insurance Regulation. And they did attend that NAIC meeting that was in Tampa in December. Uh, Old Republic had people there. Uh, Florida's Office of Insurance Regulation had people there. We do have a challenge here in Florida because we do not currently have an insurance commissioner. Uh, our insurance commissioner resigned effective at the end of December and uh, his replacement has not yet been appointed by the cabinet. So that is hampering, I think, uh, whether our office is going to take any action and what that action will be. I think they're waiting for their boss to be appointed. 
So we're all hoping that that gets filled quickly by our cabinet, but um, that is a challenge that we're having here in Florida. But I do think that here in Florida, we have gone a long way to make sure that our Office of Insurance Regulation is very aware of this and uh, they are starting to collect information also. So I hope the other states are equally engaged um, in doing the same thing. So my next question for you, Chris, is do we have any data on how pervasive this is in the market? Is this alternative title product being used at all and to what degree? Do you, we have any data on that? So, you know, I, as I said, there are claims that this is being offered in various iterations in, you know, states all across the country. However, um, the actual number of transactions that, um, that have been um, uh, seen, I think, uh, is, is very minimal, if, if any. Um, and so one of the things I would say is um, to, you know, the folks who are listening is, you know, if if um, if you're learning about this, I think it's important um, to better understand it and communicate it. You know, ab about what exactly you're you're seeing in the market. Again, from a public policy perspective, we want to be able to analyze that um, so that again we are um, recognizing and understanding um, what is being offered. We're able to assess the true nature of the risk associated with those offerings. Uh, and, you know, make appropriate um, analysis to, you know, the, the types of risk that the title insurance industry takes and in the, in the way in which we are structured and regulated. And I think that's an appropriate comparison that all regulators and policymakers need to uh, better understand. So we're going to continue to, um, you know, work to uh, gather information as it relates to that uh, and have the conversations both at the federal and state levels that you know that we've we've been um, conducting, um, again, and I would encourage people on uh, listening to this to to share what they're learning. Um, I think that makes us all more informed and helps us better make decisions. Uh, and then you know I think your point about talking, uh, particularly to your regulators about what you're seeing in the market, is important, and we can certainly help. Uh, in collaboration with that, we've worked with a lot of the state land title associations and our own members here at Alta uh, to appropriately uh, prepare them for those conversations. And so we offer that as a as a service as well. Now, that's a great resource. Uh, I would um, definitely call upon Alta if I learned about specific things in the Florida market and share that information with you. Do you think that that there's gonna be any significant change in the near future in this arena? Or do you think that um, FHFA in particular is, is just waiting to see how this evolves, whether or not it does help them achieve their goals to reduce closing costs? Or do you think that something significant is gonna happen anytime soon? You know, I think this is a this is a, a process and, and an ongoing uh, set of conversations. Uh, as I said, we're talking uh, with with them and, and others um, to better understand, you know, how they're viewing these things. I think you know the goal is one again we all share. It's the it's the how you 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 uh, reach that goal that's really important. And so um, 
you know, I think the more the more data and information we can get to even better assess, uh, you know, these offerings, then we're going to be in a better position to make judgments about, um, you know, where we can continue to contribute as an industry uh, to an important discussion. Um, and so um, that's our goal as we move through this. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, we are just about out of time. I do want to emphasize one, one of your messages today, which was for our listeners to share any information that they observe out in the Florida market, for examples, where these attorney opinion letters are being used. And specifically, I'm talking here to the attorneys in the audience that might represent a buyer or a seller in a transaction where you discover that title insurance is not the title assurance product that is being used, but this attorney opinion letter is, we would be very interested in knowing whatever you can share about that transaction. And in, a, in Chris's perfect world, you would get a copy of the closing statement and you would get a copy of the attorney opinion letter itself to see exactly what it provided and any underlying type of insurance that the lender can rely on in accepting that attorney opinion letter. So please share whatever information you get out there. So thanks to everybody that was listening today. Don't forget we pushed the audio out to our podcast, Title Now. You can get there. Uh, anywhere um, you get your podcast channels. And please share information that you might glean about the use of AOLs in your area. We would really appreciate that. And as always, thank you for your support of the fund.